Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. All right, some of you are okay, some of you are not. I mean, thank you. There we go. Um, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? And we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, this morning. It's great to be back. And um, I just want to give a big shout out to Judd uh, for teaching, preaching last week, as he always do. And um, it was great. Glad you guys were blessed by it. Um, so thank you, Judd. I love you. Uh, Luke chapter 5, I want to just kind of dive in uh, really quickly on what we're going to be talking about, at least for the month of November, and uh, which will lead us into December, which is Krima, and um, so it's not too far away uh, for you to be thinking about what you're going to get me, and uh, I'm just, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, I'll take it. Uh, no. Um, yeah, before you know it, Advent will start, and uh, but we'll be in, uh, we'll be talking about this topic for a few weeks, uh, because over the last few weeks, I've had this question asked to me, like, what does it mean? You know, you talk about making disciples, you talk about following Christ. I don't even know what that means, and that's okay if you don't know what that means. Um, Want to clarify it, and uh, just kind of look at the life of Jesus, and look at some of the uh, early church folk, um, followers of Christ, and let's look at what they were doing. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. Um, talk about um, following Christ. Uh, I think that we all can agree that at least in some aspect in your life, that you are here um, where you are in a situation, and it's as a result most of the time, this is just an observation that I've had, uh, it's, it's a result of uh, the voices that you've been listening to or following after or the people you've been following after, or perhaps it's your very own heart, which, by the way, is deceitful above all things, according to the Scripture. Okay. Uh, and you've, you've been following after those things. And I, and I would venture to say that a lot of us are in the situation that we're in in our lives, um, not because God is pouring out judgment on you. It's just because you've been following after the wrong voice. Amen. Um, I would even say on the flip side of that, you may find yourself in a chaotic situation and that could just because, be because that you're following after Jesus. Because the call to follow after Jesus uh, can be chaotic at times because he calls you to die to yourself. And I know that when I die to myself, that's going to cause a little issues. Um, so it, but still, it's, it's a result of you following after uh, the Lord. And so uh, the reality is, is that where we are today is in part due to the fact that you've been following after uh, something, some voice, some person, some girl that's going to lead you astray, young boy, uh, or some boy that's going to lead you astray, young girl, okay? Um, but you've been following after something. And, and I want to just kind of, over the next few weeks, just talk about that very thing, what it means to follow after God, follow after uh, Jesus. Now, let me, let me talk about that for just a second and, and what that means, because 
Globally, there are at least 2 billion self-identified Christians, people who claim that they're following Christ. In America, that, that equates to 70% of the population according to Pew Research. Now, it could be off a few. There's always the errors of margin uh, in there. And that's actually down quite a bit over the past decade. Um, but a lot of us, we, we say we're followers of Christ, we're Christians, and, and I'm not here to make a statement about whether or not that statement or that statistic is true or not. Uh, I just want to talk about what it actually means. I ain't here to cast judge, judgment on you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just here to talk about, let's look at what it means to follow Christ, and then let's just do some self-introspection and see if that's what we're doing, actually. Okay? Um, so, so you have the word... Christian, which let's just all agree that that holds both good and bad weight to it, particularly in our culture today. Um, This word first appeared in Acts chapter 11 in a pretty crazy story. Um, When when the church is uh, spreading, gospel is spreading, and the the church is growing in number, it it came to this place in Acts chapter 11, and and I was... I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It came to the place called Antioch. Antioch was uh, just about 30 miles away from a port and a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem, possibly in the Syrian uh, region there. There was a, a well-known, well-influential, uh, rich place called Antioch. Very uh, cultured place, very diverse place. And, and you know, like, when you get diversity... And when you get a lot of culture, you're going to get a lot of issues. Okay. I got one amen right there. Thank you, Willie. Uh, when, when you got a lot of culture, I mean, just go to Vegas. didn't take long for you just to step out into that strip. You're going to see a lot of culture, a lot of sin. Yeah. Need some penicillin just to get out of here. Amen. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. All right, let's forget about Vegas. West Point. A lot of culture, a lot of issues, Yeah. all right? And it's everywhere. I mean, just step out, open your eyes, and when you see culture, you see issues. So, so while I want you to see this picture of Antioch as, as like this rich place, very culture place, um, a very uh, diverse place, with it came a lot of wickedness and a lot of issues. But in the midst of this wicked, rich, cultured place, was a group of folks who had taken the gospel in this wicked place and had seen incredible growth of the gospel in the midst of where there was racism. And that's important because suddenly in Acts chapter 11, you get this first, um, you, you get this first identification as the church as being Christians. And this word Christians it literally just meant that they were following after Christ. Right. Other people would have heard this and said, they like little Jesus. You ever looked at your child or somebody looked at your child and said, that's a little Matthew right there. And then you kind of in turn were like, God, I hope not. Uh-oh. You know what I mean? Because um, I don't want them to struggle. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, but, but Antioch, these wicked, vile people would see this early church and they would say, there's them little Jesuses right there. They're them Christians. This I-A-N, the last part of Christian, of 
the Ian part of Christian literally meant that they were doing the business of one that they were following. So think about that. If you were uh, a part of Caesar's clan, you were a, a Caesarean because you were doing the business of Caesar. If you were doing this with Plato, you were a Platonian. If you were doing this now as a Christian, following after the business of Christ, you were now identified by culture who's very wicked as followers of Christ. And this is interesting, and it holds a lot of weight for us today. Here is a very cultured, very diverse place, suddenly seeing these little Jesuses walking around that held onto the gospel in which gave the answer to a lot of the, uh, the racial issues that were happening in Antioch. And so now suddenly, the gospel was reconciling races. It was reconciling, um, reckon, reconciling, uh, not wrecking, siling, reconciling uh, a lot of cultural differences. And so onlookers saw that there was something different about the little Jesuses here. So they said that these are Christians. The issue that we have today is some 2,000 years later, we have kept the identification as Christians, but ain't nobody given us that title. Okay. We've just given it to ourselves. All right. Nobody in culture can say, hey, look at them little Christians. We've just given it to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Well, you know, I repeated this prayer. You know, I got baptized. I, I, I go to church. But that doesn't make us a Christian. Okay. Okay. What makes us a Christian is when we follow after the Lord. Yes. And my fear is that I wonder if my boys who were up in Antioch seeing some incredible growth, if they were to run through the corridors of our lives, would they be able to say, look at those Christians? Or would they hear just a bunch of self-proclaimed folks saying, I'm a Christian? My shoes are really squeaky. Do y'all hear that? It's kind of awkward and weird. I sound like SpongeBob up here. It's really strange. Would the world, can the world look at us and say, there's the Christians? Not as a self-identified title that we give ourselves. So what is that? What is a follower of Christ? Christian is only mentioned probably three times in the New Testament. And what most people would identify them as disciples. And a disciple would be one who would follow after a rabbi. And they would eat with the rabbi. They would sit with the rabbi. They would talk with the rabbi. They would listen to the teachings of the rabbi. The rabbi would choose whomever he wanted to. And they would come under his wing and they would become disciples of the rabbi. And, and this, is, this is interesting because there was a rabbinic blessing that would take place. And the rabbinic blessing would go something like this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So being a disciple was the fact that you were walking so close to your rabbi to your teacher, that everywhere rabbi went, you were following so close to him that when he would walk, the dust from his sandals that would flop would get on you and you would be covered in the dirt and covered in the dust of the rabbi. May you be so close 
to your teacher that the dust of your teacher would cover you from head to toe. And I just wonder how many of us are following Jesus from such a distance that none of his dust is following on us. But the call to follow after Christ and to be a Christ follower is to be so close and so in step with the rabbi that we are covered in his dust. Covered in the dirt that's being flopped off his flip-flops. And we are covered in his dirt and his dust. That's what a follower and a disciple is. I just want to answer a question. I got two questions I want to answer this morning. What, what is the first one is what does this look like for us today? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like in our culture today to look like a Christian? I want to answer that. I'm going to talk about this over the next uh, few weeks uh, for us. And so I want us to go to Luke chapter five. You've had ample time to get there. Um, I purposely do not put a lot of my stuff on the screen because I want you to bring a Bible, right? Remember those things that have paper that, that flip, uh, or you can have a phone that downloads the thing called the Bible, either or, whatever your personal preference is. Luke chapter 5 is going to give us two indicators of what it literally means to be a follower, this disciple of Christ. And it says here, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, which will also be known as uh, my boy Pete, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night and caught nothing. And I love Peter's response right here because this is an incredible statement that you ought to underline. He says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they, were began, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John Zebedee's son, also known as the sons of thunder, who were Simon's partners. Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you... From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land. They left everything, and they followed him. Again, I want to answer the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? I see two things that we see here is that it takes obedience and surrender. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. I love verse 5 because he says, but if you say so. Amen. 
But if you say so, Jesus. Now, you got to know Peter because I wonder if Peter's got a little bit of cynicism in his heart at this point in time. Because, you know, Peter, he, he would just always get it wrong. You know, you get this crazy word from Jesus. And Peter's like, I've been doing it like this for a long time. But if you say so. I mean, I, I probably answer Jesus a lot like that when he tells us to do, tell me to do something. I'll start a church in a place that has 5,448 churches in every corner in one mile radius, if you say so. Yeah, because this is a great idea, Jesus. Isn't that how we all oftentimes respond to God when he's telling us something? What is it that God is asking you to put down this morning? Is it a relationship? Is it a lifestyle? Is it something that you cannot let go of? Listen to me. The thing you need to do is be obedient to the voice of the Lord, and our response should be like my boy Pete and say, and if you say so, I'll do it. I don't believe in delayed obedience. I think that's just a lame cop-out. There are two things I do believe in. It's obedience and just disobedience. You're either disobedient or you're going to be obedient Amen. to what God is calling you to do and calling you to step in. Listen to me. The guidance and the leadership of the Lord has your best interest at heart. Amen. Always. Always. Even if he requires you to do something that sounds absurd because I'm sure these boys on this boat were like, yeah, you know, we've been doing it like this for quite some time and they really see no, uh, uh, you know, success to it, Jesus. But if you say so, there's obedience to the call of Christ. There's not just obedience, but there's surrender. Now, you have never heard me uh, have... Make you repeat a prayer after me at the end of a service. I've never done that. You've never heard me say, if you'll just repeat after me, um, God will save you. I, I just, I don't know. I couldn't find it in the scriptures where they did that. Here's what I found in scriptures that to follow Christ means that you are obedient and you're surrendered to Him. Yeah. This verse in verse 11, they do something that's quite dramatic. They park their boats, and they're gone. They're like, this is it. all right, I'm in. Yeah. You have called me, and now I have no other option. I am fully in. So what does it mean to be surrendered? I think what I see here is a commitment to the call of Christ that he's given these boys. A commitment so deep that they're laying aside their livelihood, they're laying aside everything to follow after Christ. Now, I think we have um, an odd view of commitment in our culture today. Uh, we have commitment to the level of money-back guarantee. You know what I'm saying? I'll be committed to you, but if it don't work out, I want my money back. Right? I'll be committed to you, but if things don't go my way, then I'll find something else. We, we equate commitment as if it's like a contract. Yeah. But that's not what God is calling us into. There's no contract. 
when it comes to being committed to the Lord, because a contract says, if you don't meet the demands of this agreement, then I'm out. Amen. Isn't that what we've done with relationships? Isn't, what we, isn't that what we've done with, with, with marriages, with jobs, even with churches? Amen. Well, you know, the church didn't do what they told me they were going to do, so I'm out. I don't know why the voice is always a southern redneck. I'm not hating on southern redneck. I mean, I'm from Hughley. It don't get worse than that. You know what I'm saying? Help me, Lord. So we've equated our commitment level to Jesus as if it's a contract. We've equated everything in life because when it doesn't meet our expectations, then I'm out. Jesus hasn't met my expectations. He didn't do what I thought he should be doing in my life, so I'm out. But that's not the call that God is calling us into to follow him. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's covenant. Because a covenant is different than a contract. A covenant says, even if you don't meet the demands, I'm in this. Even when your spouse is acting crazy, even when your spouse ain't doing right, you have a covenant with that person. I ain't talking about my spouse. But you have a covenant with that person that I'm in this for the long haul. You have a covenant with us as a body of Christ that even when we don't meet the expectations, you're in this with us. Okay. And even when Jesus doesn't move, when you think he ought to move, I'm in a covenant with him. And I'm in this with him. Because that's what he's got with us, a covenant. Peter's not going to get this right at all. And God calls him into a covenant, and he keeps his covenant with Peter, regardless of him denying him. Not only is it a commitment that we have to Christ, but it's also a call to change. That's what surrender is. Surrender is a call to be committed to him, and surrender also looks like that you are changing. Now, I think that in our church, uh, and I'm talking about us, and I think a church a universal has got this uh, incredible message of grace. And hear me, I, I love grace. It's an incredible message. Yes, but I think we've taken grace, and we've just kind of just said, well, you know, Jesus just loves me. He accepts me for who I am, and yes and amen to that. But we think that grace also means that he doesn't expect us to change. Okay. That's not grace. If you think grace means that he accepts you and there is no change, if there's no change, that's not grace, that's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. The call to follow Christ means that we are changing yeah. day to day with him. Yeah. It's called sanctification with him if you want a, a really fancy word this morning. It's a call to die to yourself so that you can experience life with Christ. It is not a call to modify yourself. Okay. It's not a call to say, well, if I just make this one adjustment in my life, then I'll be good. You know, me and Jesus will be good. You know what happens when you make an adjustment with your life, don't you? Like, you, it reveals that you've got to have another adjustment. It reveals that the tweak that you just made in your life, you got a whole lot more tweaking. 
The gospel is not so that you becoming a better person and a modified person. The gospel is that you become a new person. These boys could not step into what God had for them if they stayed on that boat. And we can't expect to change into who God, want, who God has for us if we're still wanting to live like we want to live and the person we used to be. I know this is true, and I would encourage anybody to do this. Because a couple of years ago, I thought it was a great idea to buy a 1988 Firebird. Now, I thought it was the stuff in that car, right? Uh-oh. I ain't going to lie. Uh-oh. I mean, Myrna would ride that car. She'd text me selfish. She's like, I'm 90210, baby. <laughs> like, yes, you are. If you don't know what 90210 is, God has saved you and redeemed you. Amen. That's called grace. <laughs> so I got this car. I was like, it just needs a few modifications. I mean, I'd ride with the T-tops off, be cruising now, 29, had this beautiful sound to it. It may have been the oil. I don't know, but it sounded cool, you know? I mean, it even went with my house. I mean, I was like, dude, this is so cool, retro, trying to be all hipster. And so I took it to a mechanic, and uh, the mechanic's like, you know, I fixed everything I said that I'd fix, but I want to tell you that when I fixed it, it revealed you had more issues. And then I slapped the mechanic. No, I didn't do that. Um, I, I, I found that as I was trying to get this car to be new, I realized that I just need to sell it and buy a new car, you know? Amen. Because there was no hope. There's no hope. Now, I feel sorry for the guy who bought it, uh, but he knew what he was getting into. Um, now, there, there was no, like, like at any given moment, this thing probably could have broken down on my way to take my kids to school. And so I, I, I realized I got to get something a little bit more reliable. And plus, we had a, another a kid on the way. You couldn't put no car seat in that thing. Man, that kid would fly out the car, right? And so, so I realized that this, I didn't need a modified car because every time I tried to make modifications to the car, it just revealed that there's a lot deeper issues with this car. And I, and I thought that this was interesting because I thought, well, I'll buy a house. And I bought the house before I bought the car. And here I am, two years into this house, still trying to make modifications to it. Because I've realized every time I do a dumb modification to that house, it reveals that there are some more issues in this house. Tear down a wall, oh, lo and behold, there's a rotten board there. This is what happens when you try to modify yourself. It reveals that you're just going to keep modifying yourself, and it's an endless cycle that you find yourself on. But Paul describes what the law does. It reveals how dirty you are. And so when you're trying to modify yourself, all it's doing, it's just feathering this idea that you are not clean and you'll never be clean by modifying yourself because the gospel is not to be for you to modify yourself. He didn't say, behold, I make modified people. Paul wrote that when you are a follower of Christ, you become a new creation. Amen. You are now a new person. This is the gospel. Yeah. He didn't call you to be a better person. He called you to be a new person in him. New person. We are not called to make modifications in our life. 
And that's what obedience and surrender looks like. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ and a Christian. Amen. And I wonder as our onlookers are looking at us, can they say, there's the little Jesus. There's the Christian. There's the one who is seeing reconciliation among racism. There's the ones who are doing something that the world has no clue how to do, and that's seeing the broken restored. There are those Christians. Now, here's the other question that I want to ask. is Who is this message for? And that's important because I need us to feel the weight of that. Because some of you may say, well, that's just elementary. It's for everybody. The problem is we get that and we just don't live that out that it's for everybody. As soon as it's happened to us, that's good enough for you and you just live your life. You may have been saved, but you're not following after God. Now, there's a guy in the Gospels named Matthew. And Matthew was um, a tax collector. If you know anything about your church history... You know the tax collectors weren't the greatest guys? These were vile guys. These were very greedy men. They were in cahoots. These were, and, and these were Jewish people, but they were in cahoots with, cahoots with um, the, the Roman government and the Roman Empire. And so they would issue them to uh, receive a tax from the poor. But the tax collectors could, could do a little upcharge, and, and they would have to pay them. And so they would just pocket whatever they wanted to as long as... Uh, the Roman government got their um, request. So these men were viewed as like disgusting. They were hated. But they were living life, man. Yeah. They were prying on the poor. All of those who were in poverty. The tax collectors would identify them and try to make more of a gain in their life on the backs of the poor. I mean, these were like, these were ancient mafia guys. Okay. Jews who were in cahoots with the Roman Empire, who was also the ones who were oppressing the Jewish people. So you got to imagine the looks that Matthew would get from his brothers who were Jews and sisters who were Jews. Could you imagine the, the fiery look of an evil woman looking at him? That came out wrong. I need to rewind and back up. The, 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 the scouring look of an incredible woman who's been done wrong, right? Is she going to get evil on him in a minute? That's what she wants to do. That's kind of what I was suggesting, but okay, whatever. Could you imagine the looks when the guys who had passed by would look at Matthew and be like, you took my money to feed my kids. You took my money to feed my wife. The women that would look at him and say, you took my money to feed my family. And now I have nothing because of you. And then this dramatic twist of the story, Jesus comes to him and he looks at Matthew and he says to Matthew, follow me. That's remarkable. Because surely, and this is just me just kind of, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this, but if I'm Matthew, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you talking to me? You want me to follow you? you? You want me to follow? Do you not realize what I do to our very own people? And you're telling me to follow you? This must have been a shock to Matthew because instead of guilt, uh, giving Matthew the look of shame and guilt, there must have been something 
that was penetrating the heart and melting the heart of Matthew that caused him to lay aside his livelihood and walk away from his tax-collecting booth to follow Jesus. Perhaps it was the look of grace and compassion that only Jesus can give us when he says, follow me. He did not see Matthew as one who was guilty and who should be ashamed of himself. He looked at Matthew as his own. He looked at Matthew with forgiveness, with grace and compassion. And surely this was it. Surely it was the look of compassion in Jesus' eyes that he gave my boy Matthew that melted his heart, that caused him to get up from his tax booth and follow him. Because all he was used to was a look of guilt and shame and hatred. But this time it was different. Because Jesus the Jew walked by this boy who was disgusting and wicked and greedy. And he looked at him with his eyes and says, you're mine. Okay. Amen. He looks at him with grace and with compassion. Yeah. Who is this? This is for those of us who are carrying guilt who are carrying a weight of shame in this room this morning, but the voice of the Lord is still echoing some thousands of years later, and He doesn't count you as guilty. He doesn't count you as one who should be ashamed of yourselves. He looks at you and I with compassion and grace, and He counts us as His own. And then my boy Peter, the one we were talking about last week, the one who would always get it wrong, you got to know a little backstory about Peter. I mean, this wasn't some little pansy boy uh, who was, I, I don't know, like, a, I, I'm not a, he wasn't sitting behind a desk. Now, I'm not saying if you're sitting behind a desk because that's part of my job, I'm not calling you a pansy, okay? But this guy was like the model of kind of this burly, uh, manly man, very kind of vile. He was not on the cover of GQ, all right? America's most wanted, most likely, okay? I mean, this guy was dirty. Fishermen were disgusting guys. And I'm talking about Willie McQueen this morning. And they were nasty, right? And I, I mean, honestly, if you're always around fish, what do you smell like? You don't smell like a polo. You smell like something fishy going on up in here. So not only did they carry this, um, this, this bad attitude, they actually... It, it, their smell matched them, okay? So Jesus looks at him and calls him. Peter drops everything he's doing. He follows him. Yeah. And I love that the call wasn't just a one-time thing for Peter because Peter would always get it wrong. I mean, listen to this. Peter, in one paragraph, Jesus said, Oh, Pete, you're my rock. But then next he would say, Satan? I mean, you are a rock, and in the next sentence, Jesus says, all right, Satan, get behind me. That wasn't a compliment, right? Now, if I'm Jesus in this moment, I'm like, God, you are so annoying, you know? Like, you are the epitome of always getting it wrong. Just go back to fishing. That's what you were best at. And Jesus even knew this because Jesus would always... I mean, Peter would, would deny him very shortly, three times, as Christ is in pursuit of the cross. And yet the call of Christ didn't stop, despite 
Peter's flaws, but still pursued him. And that's what following Christ, when that call comes to us, it pursues after us. Who is this for? It's for everyone. Now, you know, last weekend I wasn't, I wasn't around this area. I was in a place that has seasons. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like trees were changing colors. I mean, it was nice, all right? I mean, it's November. My tree is still ugly green. I mean, can we not get a little gold up in here, please? All right, I'm not one of those prosperity preachers, but I'm asking for some gold okay. on the trees. All right? We went to this place, they have seasons, all right, it's called Utah. Now, this is one of my favorite places of all. It's a little national park on Mount Zion, and I took, this time I was able to take Marina, this is what we were going to do, this is what I planned. We're going to do this for our 15-year anniversary, so we did that. In 15 years, I realized I looked like I probably got married when I was 12, but that's all right. I wasn't. So we go to Zion, it's beautiful. Now, outside Zion, before you get to Zion, there's this kind of a small, big city, called St. George. One thing I've noticed about Utah, you know, it's predominantly LDS people. I love my dear LDS brothers and sisters. Um, they're wrong, but, I mean, you still got to love them, okay? And so I've noticed this about them. They clean. They're some clean jokers. I mean, they, you know, you ride by 29, you see that, uh, that mill that's been there for 15 years. That wouldn't happen in no uh, LDS place. They clean, y'all. So we get to this. Uh, I have a point. Uh, we, we get to this place. Now, now in Utah, you know, it's, it's Mormon Mecca, okay? So there's like LDS everywhere. There's LDS churches. I mean, if you could imagine this, uh, instead of seeing a church on every corner, there's like an LDS church on every corner. And then they have something called a temple. This is beautiful. You could go to the most beautiful church in our town and make it look like a shack. Kind of like what this place looks like sometimes. You know, you turn the lights on in certain places, right? It's kind of like a little ghetto. These temples make the most beautiful churches look ghetto. Okay. Right? So it's beautiful. I mean, you look up and you have to literally put your head all the way back just so you can see how tall this thing is. There on top of this beautiful white building is this weird gold thing that they really love. It's very cult-like. And so, and so we go there and I'm like, hey, I'm going to walk around here. Because, you know, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to find somebody to talk to. So I'm like, I'm like fast walking. I'm searching. I'm like, who am I going to talk to up in here? I find these three young people. Low-hanging fruit. I just knew it. Like, I'm, they're LDS. I'm going to talk to them, y'all. So I get to them. Young guy, young girl, and another young girl. Probably late teens, early 20s. Now, they're up in there. They're looking at the temple door. Now, I know the answer to the question I'm about to ask them. I asked them this question. Now, can anybody go in this temple? And this young guy, you know, he's like, well, as a matter of fact, you know, and he starts beginning to tell me, like, um, uh, here are the qualifications. Here's what you got to do uh, just to step foot into this temple. And I, and I look at him and I say, so have you ever been in the temple? And he says, yeah, I've been in there. And I look at the girl beside him. And I ask her, I said, have you been in the temple? She says, yeah, I've been in the temple. And then I look at the third girl and I ask her, have you been in the temple? And she says, no. They tell me I'm not qualified. And I'm just going to be straight with you. My heart was just ripped. Here are people who are claiming to be one of us. They have this set of 
obligations that you have to meet just to step into a building that will one day crumble and be at the footstool of Jesus. And my heart just sat there and melted for her. Here she is, claiming to be a part of this, but she says, I can't be really a part of it because I'm not qualified. Okay. Who is the gospel and the call to follow him for is for that young girl who thinks she's not qualified. It is for those of us who have come here this morning and say, I'm not qualified to do this. Look at Peter's response in this passage. He says, he says, Master, I am a sinful man, and he fell at his knees. Now, Jesus didn't kick him on the ground like, yeah, you know what? You're right, you dirty man. Uh-oh. Clean up before you come to me. Yeah. Because that's not what happens when God calls you. He calls you as you are. Yeah. But then the grace that meets you changes who you are. This is, and it's sad because so many people, there are, there are no other religions on this planet, hear me now, that have this radical view of what it means to receive God's grace. You don't have to clean yourself up before God calls you. God calls who he wants. And when he calls, we just say yes. Yes, I'm dirty, and praise God. This is a message that's been uh, throughout the scriptures. We see this even in Genesis uh, chapter 3, you know, when, like, God creates everything, everything is perfect and everything, and, and sin does what it always do. Adam and Eve, the most hated people in the world right now, they give in to sin. God asked him an incredible question. Hey, where are you? Yeah. I mean, they hear Jesus, or they, they hear God calling them in the garden. And you know what they do? Their response? They hide. Yeah. And God says, why are you hiding? And they say, we were naked. Which literally means they were ashamed of who they had become. Yeah. Now, can we all just praise God I'm not God because here's what I would have done. I mean, like, Holy Spirit been telling me y'all been doing something y'all shouldn't have been doing. I would have come in there, busting down the doors and kicked tail because this is what happens. When Miranda texts me, she's like, you need to get your kids. When they're no longer her kids and my kids, Uh-oh. I'll just simply respond. The law is coming. That's what I'll say to her. And I'll bust through them doors and I'll lay the law down. The wrath of Matthew comes down. But that's not how God responds in this situation. God says, hey, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where they are. They're hiding, remember, because they're guilty and they're ashamed. I love this response because this response is the beginning of the message that Jesus lays out for us. God, in all of his grace, calls them out. He says, let me cover you up. Isn't that incredible? Instead of kicking them down, instead of putting them up in front of the world and say, look at these guilty fools. He says, these are mine. 
and I'll cover you. This is exactly what the gospel does to us. In our guilt and shame, Christ has come to cover us. And we hear his voice saying, follow me. And our response is, I'll follow you, God. Just think as, as a king and a queen summon whomever they want and that person goes before the king and queen. Think about the king of eternity and the sovereign God of the universe has called us and our response is that of obedience and surrender and I want to follow so close to the rabbi that his dust covers me up. Pray for us, Father. I think. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9:30 a.m. or 11:15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.